Thank you, Devin. Uh, just before the service started, I was talking to Doug, and he was telling me about a friend of mine, uh, Rick Davies, that I went to middle school and high school and part of college with, and he knew my wife, or has known my wife, they went to kindergarten together, so I was thinking about a lot of different memories uh, back in the olden days when, when I was a little guy, um, and just special friends that I have known through the years. But as we think about today, this is an opportunity for us to get to know God better as we look at His Word, and we, uh, we pray as we look at a book that speaks about what is to come, we always want to remember who is coming, and then the impact God wants us to make in terms of not only the peculiar things that God announces that are happening, but we might recognize that He wants us to live in a way that is faithful to Him uh, in our days here on earth. So let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, and we pray as we look in your word that you might make it clear and, and understandable and practical. Uh, and Father, we might uh, have a sense of awe uh, concerning who you are and what you're going to do, and that we might recognize that what we read, as amazing as it is, it is true. And Father, help us to uh, wrestle with the things that are hard to understand, but might we be committed to the things that are so clear that we might live them out. Uh, the principles of life, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, turn to the 14th chapter, and that's where we left off um, a couple weeks ago. And, and as we look at uh, the section this morning, I've announced, uh, I've announced it, or I've, <laughs> I've entitled it, Announcements from, he- from Heaven. And as you think about it, if, uh, if it's true that when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens, if God were to speak in an audible voice or to make whatever he is saying uh, declarative and clear, I would dare say all of us would listen up attentively if we knew it was his voice. Well, really, the prophets of that day and the apostles, they got to experience that firsthand. We experienced it secondhand. We were getting at one step below uh, their experience. But this, this was God speaking out. And in some different ways, he expresses uh, truth uh, in various mediums. But what John had the experience of was, was hearing from God and seeing from God. And, and sometimes what God is simply giving to John is an announcement. This is about to happen. This is about to happen. And he's looking at it as it is happening, and he sees what is to be. Now, I think all of us have been to movies, and now when we go to movies, you'll, you'll experience that it seems like they have multiple movies before the movie starts. Have you noticed that? And you go there, it's supposed to start at a certain time, and there's 15 to 20 minutes of trailers, movie trailers, you know, coming attractions. And if you've ever watched a coming attraction and then actually saw the movie, you saw all the good parts in the coming attractions, and you go, where are all the punchlines that were so funny? Well, that you already saw them before, right? And as we think about what God announces to us, they're not necessarily coming attractions in the sense that these are things that are going to be easy to see or understand, but they are statements that this is coming. And just like a movie that is about to come out, almost all the time, if not all the time, they actually do bring that, that movie to the, the theater. In fact, I was just talking to another friend of mine that... that uh, was in my ministry near Palm Springs and Banning, and they're, they're such Star Trek fans. When it came out that Star Trek's the next sequel or, or prequel, I don't know which one it is now, they, they got reservations a year in advance to, to see it the night or the day it comes out. Well, you know, people look forward to certain things that they're attracted to or they're interested in. And, and John has given some announcements saying, hey, I, I want you to understand in the midst of all that you're 
uh, seeing and hearing already. I, I want you now to look at what's about to happen and see it directly from my perspective. So, because what you see in the book of Revelation is it, it's an interesting portrayal about what is to come. And it's in the backdrop of all that God has done from day one to day future. God began it all in the book of beginnings, which is the Genesis, and we know that, that life did not happen by chance. It happened by God's design, and so we're here for, for a purpose because God, who is a God of purpose, made us on purpose. It wasn't an accident. Oh, I forgot. I actually created life. He did it on purpose. And he also wasn't surprised that we messed it up. And when we mess it up, which is the Bible would call sin, then, then God kind of unveils the whole process by which he draws people to himself. And he ultimately pays the, the price that is needed to be paid so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's basically from Genesis 3 all the way to the book of Revelation as we see what God has done and, and how he brings people to himself. And, and people respond or don't respond to his invitation. But there's coming a time when God says, okay, enough is enough. I began it, and now I'm going to end it in terms of the rebellion against me. And so God gives us a book at the end of the books. The book is the Bible, and the end of the books is the book of Revelation, unveiling about what is to come. And I think what I said last week is, is you look at much of the Bible, if not basically all the Bible and the other sections that look to the future, we look back at the past to learn from people's mistakes as well as some of the good choices they made. And we, we learn lessons of faith by what other people have done in the past. Well, the book of Revelation is looking ahead, and sometimes people wonder, why do we study this book? It hasn't happened yet. And if you believe as I believe, we're not going to be there because God is not destined his people to his wrath. He's going to rescue us up like he did Noah and others. Um, and we will not be here. So why should we be concerned about this? Well, a number of reasons. One is we can learn from people's choices in the future as well, as well as be so aware about what is to happen. We warn people about what is to happen and prepare people to say, look, it, you can go on like life is like it always is. People, you know, they're born and then they live and many of them get married and then they bear children and then they raise up and then they bear children. It seems like a cycle of life. Well, there's more than just a cycle. There's a purpose to life, and we want people to understand there's a time coming when God's eternal purposes will come to pass, and those who have responded to Him will receive the promises of God, but those who reject Him, the judgment of God is coming. Now, the book of Revelation unveils this, and it unveils it from two perspectives. One is God's perspective, and then His opposing force, which is the evil one, and His perspective. And so as the judgments are unveiled, there's usually a pause, and then other judgments come, and then there's a pause, and then, and then there's this backdrop. And before chapter 14 in Revelation, there was chapter 13. And we looked at chapter 13 you know, a while ago, and, and if we look at chapter 13, it, it gave the perspective from the evil one. The, unju the judgments have been un uh, unleashed, and, and then all of a sudden you're wondering, well, how, is there going to be any opposition? And then you hear about the opposition. And it portrays the, the forces of evil against God as, as one, uh, as, as we look at Satan or Lucifer or the devil, as one who's like a dragon, a, 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 a monstrous being that is red in color because he's able to produce bloodshed, death throughout the land. And he's attacking, he's attacking God's plan. And, and we need to understand that, that 
the evil one and his demonic forces don't just attack people, but even more so, they attack what God is doing. And so you, you see God's revelation portrayed not only in words, but in pictures. And so you have this red dragon with multiple horns, not just the two horns. I don't see any pitchfork, but he's, he's attacking God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And, and then the child that is birthed out of Israel, which is Jesus, and he does everything possible to destroy what God is doing. And of course, he's unable to do that, but that doesn't stop him. And so then he goes after all peoples who put their trust in God and are obeying his commandments, and he, he tries to put them all to death. And we see this horrific scene in Revelation chapter 13, as well as parts of chapter 12. Chapter 12 and 13, look at from God's uh, from Satan's perspective, chapter 11 from God's perspective, where God says, it's over. The, the battle's been won. He's looking to the future. The kingdom of God is going to come not only from being in heaven, but all here on earth. And then we see the one resisting, the evil one. But we see the means by which he's going to do that. He's going to raise up a, a person who's going to be against Christ, and that's why he is known as Antichrist, which means against or instead of Christ. And he counterfeits who Jesus is. Then he comes to great power. He comes like, in many ways, how they thought the Messiah would come the first time, that he would take over. He, he would now be the person in charge politically and from a military perspective, and all nations would, would bow their knees before him and all peoples. Well, the Antichrist will come, and he initially will look like he solves all problems, but, but then his true side will come out because he's probably demonically uh, possessed and he's at the beckoning rule of the evil one. And all of a sudden, he not only wants to be seen as one in charge, but just like throughout history, those who come to places of prominence in this world, particularly uh, from a national perspective, uh, they not only want to be followed, they want to be worshipped. And so he counterfeits Christ, where, and the ultimate counterfeit is that he will look like he died, and then he will what? Come to life again. And all of a sudden, people will run him as the all-powerful being that is able to solve people's problems, or looks like he's solving people's problems. He'll be the source by which people will get food and every other kind of care. And so they will long to follow after him. But not only will he be doing that through his power, but there will be another person come alongside him called the false prophet who will capture people's minds and souls and hearts to truly worship him. And they will set up a statue, an image, or an idol of the Antichrist, and they will essentially bow down to worship him. And that's seen powerfully in Revelation 13. You begin to wonder, with all this going on, is evil going to win? Is somehow God not going to be able to accomplish his plan? And so God, now through his, his revelation to John, said, look, you just, I just gave you a picture of how the evil one looks at this. Let me show you from my perspective. And so we're going to see this morning three announcements from heaven to John, to us, that we ought to listen up to and then be ready and help other people be ready for what is to come to pass. Now, with that, and there's some complexity in this text, let me just give you three words. This is what I want you to take home um, this morning. As we look in the future about how other people are experiencing and responding to what God is doing, there are things that he wants for them then, and they are the same thing he wants from us now. And here, here's what it is. He wants us to be full of joy or joyful. He wants us to be full of fear or fearful. And he wants us to be full of faith or faithful. And we're going to see this in the text this morning. 
But just with a little backdrop, at least a couple of these don't even seem to be connected to reality. You know, when things go wrong, it's not easy to be joyful. We were... We showed in the first service just a little bit that this past week, and this is so minor compared to what we're reading here, but, but all, we had a tree fall in our house. Actually, it wasn't a full tree. It was only a huge limb, but it you know, broke some of our roof, caved in you know, a skylight. We had glass everywhere in the bathroom. Much of what was on our deck got destroyed, and you know, life happens. Okay? And when I got that call from Alice, I wasn't initially responding full of what? joy, right? Because when unjoyful things happen, that's not the natural response. But on the other hand, when you stop for a moment and say, well, look at all the good things. You know, no one got hurt, right? You know, those things can be replaced. In light of eternity, this is nothing. And that's how, in many ways, we need to look at life. Things that we do through now, are involved in and experience now are important, and we can cherish them, enjoy them. But when they don't go wrong, right, that doesn't have to rob us of our joy because our joy isn't found in, a per, in, in, a, in circumstances. It's found in a person who gives us life to its fullness. And, and that's why Paul could say, and this is looking in the past, you know, even if you find yourself in prison, okay, you know, a limb, a tree falling on your house, is, I'd rather have that happen than being you know, thrown in prison. But Paul says you can rejoice. And in fact, he says, you know, can you rejoice? You can rejoice what? Always. And knowing that when they heard this, they wouldn't believe it. He says, and again, I say what? Rejoice. So what God wants us to be as we look about what has happened, is happening, or will happen that isn't right, it's more wrong than right in terms of natural experience, he still wants us to be joyful. But for that to happen, we need to know where our source of joy is. It's in the Lord. And then later on, he's going to say something that we could maybe understand why they would respond to that. It says, I want you also to be fearful. Full of fear? I thought that's exactly what God didn't want for us. Doesn't it say, and it does say in 1 Timothy, it's either 1 or 2 Timothy. I always have to relook it up. It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. I think it's 2 Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. God doesn't want us to be fearful. Well, there is such a thing as a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. And all of us ought to have a healthy fear. And thirdly, he wants us all to be full of faith or to be faithful. Well, let's look at it from the text this morning. Revelation chapter 14, and this is the backdrop of seeing a response to all the judgments that have happened and will continue to happen, and what is, what is happening in heaven, and how is God looking at this? Look at Revelation 14, beginning verse 1. Then I, this is John, behold, uh, looked, and behold, a lamb was standing on Mount Zion. And so, again, as we've said before, Revelation is a book not only of words, but also of pictures. And, you know, I said before, you know, when we were young, we all wanted to look or read books with a lot of pictures. And so he gives us some pictures here. And so he is seen, and we can envision, okay, looking up, and all of a sudden you see this lamb figure who illustrates who? Jesus. And he's standing on Mount Zion, and with him 140,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And actually, as he looked up, he wasn't looking up all the way to heaven. He was actually looking to a place he was very familiar with. He was looking to the place um, right now that is a hot spot in our world, Jerusalem. He was looking at something here on earth because the 144,000 people were here on earth. And, and it goes on, and 
he says this, and I, and I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And here's where you get, sometimes you hear things about the Bible or about heaven, and you go, I wonder where they got that. And people sometimes, when they when they think about heaven, they think, well, I'm not sure I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be sitting on a, on a cloud playing a what? But a harp. Well, this is where some of those harps come from, because they're in heaven, they're playing this instrument, and, and he sees that, and it sounds like he, they're playing it rather loudly or with great volume. And, and there's, there's something to what they're playing. There's a song to it, verse 3. And they sang a new song, uh, yeah, new, uh, new not only to them but to everyone else because it goes on and says, Before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 154,000 who had been purchased from the earth. So you have a scene from heaven, you have a scene on earth. There's people in heaven singing, and you have people on earth singing. But the people on earth singing are a select few, um, not few in terms of, of just numbers compared to the world's population, 144,000. I didn't say this in the first service, but there is a place uh, for choirs, because there appears to be choirs in heaven and choirs here on earth. Not everyone's singing, some people are. When some people sing, other people what? Listen. So the other people were listening as this music was going on. And as we think about that, we need, again, to kind of stick, take a step back, look what we've already read, and then try to make sense of it. Again, I mentioned the lamb. The lamb is obviously Jesus. And the reason is Jesus because we've already seen a picture of Jesus as the lamb in heaven. In Revelation 5, 6, it says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if, what? Slain. And Jesus, it appears that throughout eternity, will have the marks of his love for us, that those symbols of his sacrifice will be eternal. So we're always reminded of the, the gospel which is free to us costs Jesus everything. Having seven horns, seven eyes, and that speaks of, of Jesus' authority and his, his om, omniscience, being able to see everything, which are the seven spirits of God. He has the fullness of God within him sent out into the, all, all the earth. In John 1.36, it even describes Jesus as the Lamb of God as, as he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So what we have here is, is there's an announcement from heaven, and this announcement is given not only in words uh, as well as in music, but it's given in a physical way where uh, the Lamb stands on this hill, Mount Zion, and he's surrounded by the 144,000. Now, some take this Mount Zion as in heaven, but... I don't really think that's what it is. I think he's talking about earth here. It's the earthly Jerusalem. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. If, turn, turn with me or just listen to me as I read Isaiah chapter 2, 1 through 5. For some of you, it's, it's, it's rather new, and for some of you, you've heard this many times. But as we think about a, an event that's going to happen, there is what's called the millennium. Or there's a thousand-year period of time where, where God will rule. Some people think this rule of God will be only in heaven. But that's not where it's going to be. It's going to be here on earth. In Isaiah chapter 2, 1 through 5, it says this, The word which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And again, he's talking about Jerusalem here. Now, it came about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. 
And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his past, for the law will go forth from Zion, and again, this Mount Zion, this Jerusalem, and from the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples, for they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Now let me ask you, has that happened yet? Is it going to be war no more, you know, right now? I mean, we're trying to make all kinds of treaties with all kinds of nations. Um, we'll, you know, we're trying to make a, a, a treaty with a nation to, to limit their nuclear activity. And at the same time, they're saying they hate us and death the United States and death Israel. Uh, it doesn't sound like people want to eliminate war as an option to accomplish their purposes. And, and the reality is no matter whether we sign a treaty or don't sign a treaty, um, is that we will not be able to ensure the safety of this planet by negotiation or by force. There's only one person who's going to be able to do that, and that's who? That's Jesus. That's the Jesus answer in church, right? It's Jesus. And when Jesus comes and he rules here on this earth, the nations will come to him, they will learn of him, and they will destroy all elements of war. Now, just give me a picture. We'll, we'll talk of this probably a little further when we get to Revelation chapter 20. But this thousand-year reign here on earth by Jesus has a purpose behind it. And, and just thinking for a moment, just uh, you know, conversations that maybe you're still struggling with or you have other friends or family members are struggling with, uh, some people really wrestle, how can I believe in a God who doesn't seem to play fair? Yeah, particularly, okay, if, if Jesus is the only way, why, why is it that some people seem to be able to, to hear more about Jesus than others. Have you ever heard the question, well, what about people who've never heard? You know, deepest, darkest Africa, which is interesting. They probably are now hearing just as much in Africa as they are now in the United States, but that's another story, another sermon. But there are places where the message is not as, as demonstrative and clear as it is in, in a nation like America. And, and, and they, they explain this, well, you know, if, if I were to throw out a, a nation, you would all say, well, that's why... Um, People believe that because that's where they're raised. You know, a person who lives in Iran or Iraq, they're probably what? They're probably a Muslim or an Islam, okay? They, they believe in the Islamic faith, and you could describe them as a Muslim. You know, obviously, they're Christians there as well, but it's more likely that they are of the Islamic faith. If someone's living in Thailand, they're probably Buddhist. If they're living in Israel, uh, if they have a faith, they probably are of the Jewish faith. And most people, you know, mistakenly, they think most Americans are what? Christians. Now, percentage-wise, that might be accurate. But the reality is there's coming a time where that statement, and the Bible says that no one is without excuse, no, no one, because God has given the, the, the manifestation of who He is everywhere. But there's going to come a place where people can't say, I, I can't trust in the fairness and the goodness of God because God is for a thousand years is going to be the ruler of the entire planet. And when that, that period of time begins, everyone will know of Jesus. In fact, everyone initially will believe in Jesus, but then they will give birth to children. And, and they'll be able to see Jesus, they'll be able to hear from Jesus. And haven't we heard that before? Well, if Jesus would just speak to me, I'd believe. Or if I could see him, I'd believe. 
Well, there'll be a period of time where all that will happen as well. And, and there will be no conflict in terms of circumstances. Well, if, if my life was as easy as your life, then I would believe in God, but all my life is filled with heartache and pain. God will bring peace here on earth. But we'll see at the end of that thousand years, people will rebel against God, Satan will be loose, and there'll be one final battle. They'll be without excuse in terms of any other reason why people have rejected the message of Jesus other than saying, I want to be my own God. And really, that is the point where which we come to the point where we reject him. I don't want him to be in charge of my life. I don't want him to rule my life. It's all right if he rules your life, but I don't want him ruling my life. So the thousand-year period in, in which he will reign, there'll be rejection. And we could, we'll see that as in the days to come. But in the midst of that, God has revealed himself, and, and what he's saying to, uh, to John is, okay, I'm plopping down here on, on Mount Zion. I'm going to rule in this place. There is, a, there is an expression of music that is radiating in the land. And, and here, here's the point of, of why I said the, the point I want you to leave here this morning, at least one of them, is God is calling us to be joyful. Now, the instrument of the harp, which is not a probably top 40 instrument uh, you know, that you'll hear on the radio, if you listen to certain classical uh, you know, uh, stations, you might pick it up in the background a little bit in the orchestration of what they're playing in terms of uh, classical music. But, but harps were, was an instrument to which was used to bring people joy. Look at Psalm 33, 1 through 4. It's in your outline this morning. And in case I don't get to it, the 144,000, those are the same people we saw in Revelation chapter 7 who are sealed Jewish believers doing the work of God here on earth. But in Psalm 33, it says this, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is coming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of what? Of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. You know, it's, it's interesting that, that God has blessed you know, people of faith and people without faith uh, the, with the gift of music. You know, people love music, or most people love music. You know, people will spend top dollar to go to certain concerts. They'll, they'll travel great distances to hear their favorite group. And, and some people, I mean, they're, they're, they're constantly, if they're not watching something or doing something, they're, they're doing it with, they're, they're focused on music. They want music all the time. And, and why is it? Because music has the ability to lift up your spirit and, and just change your mood. If there's a certain style of music you enjoy listening to, you, you just want to hear it because it just does something for you. Bring back positive memories of, of an occasion or experience. And, and often music is part of, of, of just not only what's happened in the past, uh, but it's experiencing joy in the present and you may even looking forward to what might be coming. And, and that's what the, the music of the harp was. It, the harp was an instrument to produce joy in people's lives. And let's be honest, you don't have to be of faith to enjoy music, right? If you've ever been to a concert, people just go crazy listening to their favorite kinds of music. And even in the sports world, they'll often pipe in music to get the, the, the fans jacked up to even more to be more enthusiastic about the game they're observing. And so 
all I want to say here is, is we look in the midst of all that had happened during this period of time and, and was going to happen. In the midst of these uh, 144,000 experienced all the heartache and pain of that time, they were reminded that you can still express joy. I, I, I have to be careful. I, I won't get any further. But I remember when, when Russia, um, you know, the, the, the Iron Curtain went down, remember that, and all of a sudden its borders were open. One of the first groups of people that came into the, into the, uh, the, the Soviet Union were missionaries. And, and they just kind of flooded the land. And I remember reading some, some responses of the Russian people, and particularly the Russian leadership, to, to having all these Christians flood uh, their land. And he said, well, can you describe to me what, what impresses you most about these Christians? And, I, you know, I was kind of trying to figure out what I thought they would say, but this is what they said. What we're most impressed with is they're so joyful. There's something about their quality of life that just is contagious. And, and wouldn't that be, would that be of, of all of God's people that we're filled with joy, even in the midst of you know, trees falling on your house, you know, or... You know, a financial reversal or, or a health news that is, is just devastating. And not, not that we're happy that happens. I would much prefer it didn't happen last week. But it reminds me that, you know, no one got hurt. It reminds me that I'm glad I had a house for a tree to fall on, you know. I, I'm, I'm glad that, that I had insurance. There's all kinds of things you find in your life. But even beyond all those things, that my, my life is not reduced as just the things that I have or I, can, or I can take pleasure in. My joy is knowing the one who created me and died for me. And, and so the message of, of even this, this period of time, which is a time like no other time, in terms of the hardship and pain, that God's people could be joyful. They could have a shout of joy in the midst of all that was going on. Finishing up this, this section real quickly, he goes on in verse um, this four, describing these people that are able to sing this song of joy where no one else could. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and no, and no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. You know, God doesn't love us anymore the more committed we are to him. Because anything that we have is is an object of God's grace. But on the other end, the more we walk with God, our joy is multiplied in him. And and these weren't perfect followers of, of Jesus. It says that no lie was found in them and they were blameless. But that's not saying they were sinless. What it means is that they were beyond reproach. They were not hypocritical. They were genuine in their faith. And they were giving their all to him. And, and because of that, uniquely, they were able to sing and shout a song, a new song of joy because they knew God deeply. And often when I lose my joy, and can, can any of you, did any of you I may mean, ever admit that you lose your joy sometimes? You know, you're just more irritated than you are joyful. You're more overwhelmed than confident that you're in God's hands. And when that happens, and I'm not thinking about my relationship with Jesus, I'm thinking about myself. And the reason they were full of joy, because they recognized they were doing God's work. They're representing him, and 
Because of that, and they recognized all that God had done for them, they were full of joy even in the midst of the worst of times. So as we look forward to a period of time that if you know the Lord, you will not experience, but learn from, no matter what you go through, you can experience the joy of the Lord. And the music of heaven can excite your soul. Secondly, not only do we want to recognize the Lamb is coming and we ought to be joyful, the second announcement from heaven is that judgment is coming and we ought to be fearful, full of fear. Now, in many ways, describing the judgments that are come, it, does, it is a fearsome description, but, but why would we respond that way? Look at verse 6. And I saw another heaven, fly, another angel flying in heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. So the message gets out. It's really the, the fulfillment of the promise in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. That's when the gospel will go everywhere during this period of time. So in many ways, it's a period of great grace and mercy and compassion as well as judgment. And if you're wondering about, some people ask, well, is this a different gospel than the gospel today? You know, it's an eternal gospel, and Matthew says it's a kingdom gospel. So it's like, you know, here's gospel one and gospel two and gospel three and gospel four. You know, pick which curtain you want to, you know, pick for your, your gospel. I don't think it's a different gospel. It's all the same. It's, the word gospel means good news. But there's adjectives describing the gospel here. It says the eternal gospel, and I think it just modifies that, that this gospel affects you eternally. And when he says the gospel of the kingdom, he's simply saying this is the gospel in which you will experience God's rule. That's what kingdom is. The, uh, the Bible also talks about the gospel of God. You know, God the Father's involved in it. It says the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's involved in it. He'll talk about a glorious gospel because it's so amazing. Words are, 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 are useless to describe how grand this gospel is. Uh, and so there are a variety of terms that are used throughout Scripture. There's gospel of peace. Why is it called the gospel of peace? Because it gives you... I'm going to try that again. Okay. It's called the gospel of peace because it can give you peace. You see, sometimes the Bible's not as hard as we make it. You know, just take it as it is, okay, is that it just describes the benefits of that. And so the message goes out for people to respond to him. And then, then the invitation. In fact, everyone needs to hear the gospel and then respond to it. And it says this, with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and the earth and sea and the springs of waters. Now, there are a lot of synonyms in the Bible describing our response to God. You know, often you'll hear the words faith or trust or believe. If you want to come to know God, you need to believe in Him and trust in Him. There are other words that talk about following Him. Another word talks about repentance. You need to turn from where you were going to where you should be going. Here it says, respond to the gospel by fear. And you're thinking, fear? That's what I'm trying to get away from. I, I would say this. I, I made this in the first verse, and I, I really do believe it. If you don't have a fear of God, then you don't know God. The Bible says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It, it, it begins there. And I, I don't. I think the idea, here, the idea here is more than just reverential awe. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, you've been to the Grand Canyon or some other big hole in the wall 
I don't know, a whole nother earth. You know, it's amazing just to see the beauty in terms of rock formations and everything going on. And, and when you get there, you're, you're, you have a sense of awe. And you think, the beauty and the majesty and the amazingness of, that's a word, of, of what I'm just looking at. But, you know, when you go to the Grand Canyon, the, the, the closer you get, the better look you get, right? So you get as close to the edge as possible. But the closer you get, you don't just get a reverential awe. You get, you get a, a serious fear that if I take a wrong step, that could be fatal, right? And when we think of God, God is our judge. And when we're on the right side of the fence, then, then, then we realize he still has the power, but we don't have that fear it's going to happen because we're in that protected zone. But we don't want to cross that line. You know, in the red letter part of the Bible, Matthew 10, 28 says this, Do not fear, this is Jesus speaking, those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him. He's not talking about Satan here. He's talking about God Almighty who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And and so we, we want to have a healthy fear. Uh, not that we run from God, but we run to God. Because God, I know I don't want to take a step too far that I put myself in the danger zone. And so this, this world, which is fearing all kinds of things, if I don't take the mark, then I won't get to eat. And he's saying, look, you have to decide who you're going to fear most. Someone who can take physical bread or the living bread from you who might take some water from you or the one who will give you living water. Who's deserving more of our fear? Than, I'm going down this path. The Bible does say in Romans 2, 4, the kindness of God leads us to repentance, but it's not the only motive to come to Him. When I first realized my sin was deserving of God's judgment, that was a motivation for me to say, I've got to decide whose side am I on. Still believe in God's grace and God's love, but I, I can't just put this off. I've got to decide. Who am I going to put my trust in? Third announcement, and quickly. Not only is the Lamb coming, we ought to be joyful. The judgment is coming, we ought to be fearful. Thirdly, the harvest is coming, and we need to be faithful. Now, I'm just going to basically read this section, but it, it really speaks about what is going to happen. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying, verse 9, with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he, is, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength, in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Judgment is coming. And the torment described very simply. There's much of the Bible you can just understand right here on the surface. It describes how long this judgment is going to take place. It says forever and ever. It's going to be a day and night experience. 
You know, if you're familiar all with fairly recent pop music over the last few decades, you know, you know ACDC has a pretty popular hymn. Not hymn, but song. I'm on the highway to what? To hell. If you've ever been in an environment where um, that song is being played, there are people who will shout the lyrics out. I'm on a highway to hell. And I'm wondering, are, are you listening to what you're saying? Uh, the Bible describes it as a place of torment that doesn't last for a moment, but for eternity. Madonna had a song that said, uh, I don't give a blank whether I go to hell. This is a place of torment that will last forever. Judgment is coming in. The idea of being faithful is we want to be as faithful as possible to warn people that God loves them. But judgment is coming. And there will be a harvest of lives that will be forever absent from the presence of God. The contrast is in verse 12 and 13. When we in this life, it's going to be a life of rest. There is the perseverance of the saints, verse 12, who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed, happy are the, are the dead, which sounds strange, who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. There are times where we, sometimes, you know, the older I get and uh, the older we all get, sometimes we just simply get tired. And God says, keep hanging on, but when it's over, there's rest. But for a whole multitude of people, there's going to be no rest for the wicked. Verse 14, then I looked, and behold, this is John experiencing what is it to come in the future, a white cloud. And sitting on that cloud was one like a son of man, which is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, uh, the, the one who rules. Verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who had power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him by the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. Verse 19, so the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So this isn't harvesting good fruit. This is harvesting fruit that will be destroyed in terms of the wrath of God into the punishment of God that will last forever. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Describing a place in which that last battle will be fought in Revelation 19 where the judgment of God will come upon those who resist his message of the eternal gospel. And as we read this, it ought to break our hearts and, and, and challenge us to be faithful to live for him. 
So what's the bottom line? The bottom line are, are God's people listening and are we ready? Ready to be filled with joy so they can, people can see what true Christians have no matter what the circumstances are. Not that we won't struggle through difficult times, but in the midst of that we find that our joy is in the Lord. And when we experience, understand the, the depths of the gospel, it, it ought to give us a healthy fear of the judgment of God. A healthy fear of recognizing that, that we are on that side of the fence that brings safety. And then thirdly, we're motivated to be faithful because we don't want loved ones to experience the wrath of God as the judgment and the harvest of God comes and reaping those who reject Him. God wants His people to listen and to be ready. Let's pray. Our fathers, we... Uh, read of such accounts that just cause us to be filled with a sense of peace because we know that, that, that you have the future in your hands. But it also is a, an experience of being aware that there are difficult days coming for those who have not responded. And, and they'll give, they'll, you'll be given opportunity to respond, but many will run from you rather than run to you. Father, might we be faithful in, in living that life of joy, but also faithfulness with a healthy fear of the one who's come for us. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we sing this morning.